you, Pastor. Scripture today is from 1 Corinthians 7, 32 through 38, and also Matthew 19, 11 and 12. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone is worried that he might not be acting honorably toward the virgin he is engaged to, and if his passions are too strong and he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He is not sinning. They should get married. But the man who has settled the matter in his own mind, who is under the comp- no compulsion but has control over his own will, and who has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. So then, he who marries a virgin does right, but he who does not marry her does better. But he said to them, Not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this receive it. The word of the Lord. We are in a series. Am I coming through? We are in a series on marriage. This is just the second one. And singleness, or we we might call it marriage, and some might say marriage and pre-marriage. And um, last week I gave you a rather large introductory message where I started from Genesis chapter 2, where God says about Adam, it is not good for Adam, the man, to be alone. And then he gave, he gave um, a woman, he gave a woman someone who is like him but opposite of him. That's what it means, a helper fit. That word fit is someone who is like him but strangely opposite of him, comes to... Um, so this mysterious thing of someone who's like us but really not like us, okay? Um, and the, she would be the gift to fill a, a hole inside of his heart, a deficit, which this is a remarkable because there was no sin in the world. There isn't this feeling that there's something lacking when you are not with somebody. Is not because you're a sinner. As God put it there, even though he made the world good, but then he said, this is not good. And then he answered it a certain way, and the answer of the way that he made it in this world is marriage. That is what I talked about. But then I really wanted to um, open up into this rather remarkable passage, and it can be a confusing passage, especially in light of Genesis chapter um, of Genesis chapter 2, this 1 Corinthians 7 passage where Paul says, I wish some people would be like me. And what is he talking about? He's talking about, I wish you'd be single. 
because within singleness there is actually a great advantage. And it's based on the fact not just because, well, you know, you don't have, you don't have to pay for anybody else's bills and you don't have to fight for the bed or the bathroom or anything like these, <laughs> these kinds of things. That's not what he's talking about here. Something extraordinary has happened in history. And the very culmination of history has already come to place through Jesus. It's already occurred. And because of this now, a whole new perspective, a whole new way of living life that could free us in a new way, whether you are married or single, and actually there's advantage if you're single in light of the gospel. That's what he's talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. But then he says this, and, and, and I really, you know, I can't unpack all this, because um, today, I think 1 Corinthians 7, and then I gave you another verse, because this other verse, which is from Jesus, Matthew chapter 19, those are some of the most relevant passages which talk about Singleness. That's really what I want to talk about today, singleness. And singleness, I don't know if you've noticed this. I, I don't know how you cannot notice this. If you live in our culture, it's, it's a big problem. Singleness is a really hard thing in our society for millions of people, if not most people. And yet, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, he says it is a gift. He says this thing. Some of you are, are seeing somebody. It's, he calls it the betrothed. Some of you are seeing somebody, and if you have passion for this person, and by the way, he's not only talking sexual passion, but you romantically long for this person, it's okay to get married. It's not a sin. But if you don't, if you can handle your passion, and you can keep it under control, and then you can make a decision in your right mind, you can consciously say, you know what? I actually can be free. He even says, then you do even better. It's, a, it's astonishing. You could be single and free in a new kind of way. Jesus puts it in a, in a, in a very funny way. He says, um, there are eunuchs. So let me, let me actually just say, say the verse, all right? There are eunuchs, some. He even knows that this is a weird thing. He says, not everyone can actually hear this. Not everyone can receive this saying. There are eunuchs who have been so from birth. And do you guys know what a eunuch is? <laughs> this is, uh, this is, um, is kind of weird for us because in their day and age, a eunuch was not, uh, I mean, it's not like you would just meet a eunuch every single day, but um, a eunuch is somebody who literally has, um, has had something done to his genitals so that he doesn't have sexual desire. <laughs> and so... Um, you know, there, it would be, at least in their day, there'd be somebody, who, for instance, who was supposed to take care of a, of a powerful man's wives. <laughs> and you obviously don't want him to have an affair. You know, if you're a powerful man, you don't want somebody, but you want somebody you can really trust for that role because this is, this is your wife. <laughs> you want this person to protect your wife. You want this person to be the guardian of your wife, maybe the butler of your wife, or all of the above, okay? And... Um, that might be a special role for a eunuch, a particular job for a eunuch. But, um, but then Jesus says this odd thing. There are those people, there are those who have been eunuchs from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by other men. All right. So there are some people who don't seem to have this need for this romantic passion or the sexual desire for the opposite sex. And then there are some people who have been made that way by other people. And then... This is interesting. And then there are eunuchs 
who have been, who, for, for who have made themselves eunuchs, they've chosen. They've chosen, I'm not going to seek this other, this, this completion from the opposite sex. How do you say it? For the sake of the kingdom. For God. For the reign and rule and the glory of God, they've actually chosen this for themselves. And for the one who is able to receive this, if you're able to receive this, you should receive this. <laughs> so there's this kind of secret. Now, uh, as I said to you last week, Genesis chapter 2 is a description, I think, of the vast majority of human beings. It is not good that Adam is alone. And then God gives, this, gives us this beautiful gift called marriage. Um, it's from God. It wasn't invented by human beings because we just happen to have this need. So let's just invent some kind of institution that kind of fixes this thing, kind of. <laughs> but actually God created this beautiful gift. He instituted it. It's a creational institution, marriage and family. Hmm. But today I want to talk about this special, there's this special calling, this special gift from God to be single. And there is a pathway. And... Um, and I want to talk about this deep problem that we have in our culture about, that wrestles with singleness um, in the three parts. Part one. Part one and two are the problems. And it's a multifaceted problem. Um, part one is single and lonely. Single and lonely. Part two is alone and lonely. Alone and lonely. Now, why am I saying it this way? <laughs> There's a difference between being alone, that is, you're not with somebody else. That's like the objective state. There's me and nobody else. But lonely is the feeling inside. It's the experience. It's different, right? There are people who can be alone but not feel this ache, this experience. Loneliness is sort of the thing that comes out of being alone. So part one, people who are single, but they feel this non-thing inside called loneliness. There are people who are alone. I think there's a difference. So that's one distinction I want to give you, alone and lonely. But I'm going to give you a different distinction. How about alone and single? They're not the same thing. A lot of people think that they are. A lot of single people think if you're single, you're just alone, and thus you will be lonely. So think single, alone, lonely. They all go together. Not true. Hmm. Not true at all. Hmm. Hmm. But there are lots of people who are single, and actually they have made themselves single and alone and deeply, deeply lonely. It's actually even worse. I think this group in number two, they are some of the most broken people in our society, and they're increasing. And I have great compassion upon them, and I hope this message can help. Right? And part three is single but not alone. <laughs> See, that's, that's the beautiful thing. You can be single, but you're actually not alone and not lonely. Incredible, isn't it? Incredible. And I hope um, many of you can discover this. By the way, um, I, I, won't, I don't want to get too much on this. I'm married. I guess I'm not in that category. You could become in that category. What if your spouse leaves you? 
This is a, a no-fault uh, divorce state. You can't stop it from happening. And then you can become single. But can you be single but not alone and not lonely? Or what if, God forbid, you know, your husband gets cancer and he passes away? You're 45 years old. I thought I was going to be with this man until 85, 90. <laughs> what am I going to do for the next 40 years? <laughs> Maybe you can choose single but not alone and not lonely. Maybe it's for you. <laughs> hmm. For the kingdom, through the kingdom. Let's get into this part one, single and lonely. This is the easiest, okay? Uh, most single people are lonely. They're, they're on their own. And they, you know, this is why we don't even want to be. So this is why we've got to have a roommate. This is why, this is why, okay, this is quite simply why um, high school kids, junior high kids, they just want to be around other junior high kids. Because if they're around a 25-year-old and a 35-year-old and a 45-year-old, like, you don't get me. They can be in a room full of a bunch of other people. They're not alone, but they're lonely. So they're single. They're not alone, but they're lonely. So then what do they do? They all huddle up next to each other. And then, of course, our culture exacerbates this loneliness by always shoving them with each other. And so this is part of it. College students, 20-somethings. So a 20-something a, a straight out of college, a 22, 23-year-old, what do they do? They're going to go seek other people like them, partly because they don't know how to hang out. Honestly, there's a, there's a kind of generational segregation that happens in our culture. And they are single, and they're not actually alone. There's lots of people around them and lots of people who may want to befriend them. So, but they don't know how to connect with people often younger than them and older than them. But it's even more than that. It is, they don't know this, but they're experiencing Genesis chapter 2.18. It is not good that Adam is alone. It is not good that Eve is alone. And so... So then the other reason why they always like to hang out with each other is because, well, there's girls there. That's why. I mean, I'm talking to the guys, right? I mean, there's a lot of guys who just go to church because there's girls there. They're not going there for Jesus. And then there's guys going cruising for girls. They're not even Christians. They don't even like the Bible. They don't like God, or they don't care about God, okay? But, but they like girls. <laughs> and so that, that's a, that they don't know that, that, that God has used that as a Trojan horse for them to get them, you know. Because a lot of guys get saved that way. They're like, go looking for a girl in church. And then she goes, if you don't go hang out with me, if you want to date me, you better come to church every single week. And like, yeah, okay, I think I can tolerate this thing, right? And then it starts off as toleration, and somewhere along the line, it turns to salvation, and then it turns to, hey, Jesus is more important than this girl. It happens. <laughs> but um, I want to talk a little bit about the, the, the problem of it. Um, I, I want to just say first to, to singles, I, I, just, I want to just say, if you feel lonely and it hurts and it's a difficult thing for you, or if you're a guy and you regularly see your, your mind wandering off thinking about girls, <laughs> Or ladies, okay? You know, you're, you could be 45 and thinking about ladies, okay? Um, or vice versa. There's lots of women who, they basically, they, you know, they do their work, but, you know, they're at work for eight hours, but, but, but actually for two out of the eight hours, they're, they're staring at that guy over there and thinking about that guy, and then they're kind of wishing that he'd be sort of like Tom Cruise or something like this. 
come on, ladies. It's like, don't, don't, don't tell me this. You don't do this. <laughs> it's nonsense that you don't do this. Right? How do I know that you do this? I'm not a, I'm not a woman. How do I know this? Because guys do it too. Okay? Because guys do the same thing. He said, just, just do it a little bit differently. It's maybe a little more sexual with guys, maybe a little more romantic with women. And then there's, of course, the really romantic, sentimental guy. <laughs> and then there's, there's the sexually hungry woman, too. And I want to just say this. It's okay. You're not weird. You're not broken. Don't be embarrassed. When you hang out with your other friends, whether they're single or married, admit it. <laughs> I'm just telling you right now, if you do this, I bet you 90 plus percent of your other friends, they're doing this too. <laughs> they're, sing they're single and they're lonely. Heck, they're married and they're lonely <laughs> because of this. But in our culture, um, there are powerful drivers. There are powerful drivers that make you feel like you're actually deficient, even somehow less than fully human. You could feel that there's something you're not quite complete. God actually made you not quite complete. Our culture is doing something very odd. It's constantly trying to tell singles that if you act like you're, you're vulnerable and hurting, and if you admit it, you're weak. <laughs> there's something wrong with you. Well, if there's something wrong with you, there's something wrong with everybody, but they just won't admit it. Which I think that's what's really wrong in our society is the lack of courage, honesty. I'm, I'm, I'm a fully independent and autonomous human being. I only like just rule myself. No, you don't. You need, you need. Actually, you were made to need and long. Most people need to be married. So it's good. It's actually a good thing. But we, but something, it's good to long and need this other person. But, and of course, come on, man. You, you just know that women are just so much more beautiful. I mean, who wants to hang out with a bunch of dudes that smell? <laughs> like, look at all that hair, and you know, they'll smell bad and stuff like this. But just, just one woman comes into your life, and she, you know, just starts actually, she puts a flower on the table. You start dating this woman, and she comes into your apartment, and she actually puts a flower <laughs> on your table. A flower! <laughs> How about... <laughs> She, she actually cleans some things up, and it smells better. And then she puts something on the wall, and it's, it's something nice. And, you know, it's like, this, just come on. And this is the beautiful thing. And, of course, women, they, you seek the opposite thing. You want something, oh, I, I mean, I hope this doesn't sound too stereotypical, right? But, um, uh, but our culture, we, so... Let me just talk about it this way. If you come from a more traditional sensibility, and, and uh, there's a lot of people in this room, you're, you have kind of an Asian immigrant background. Asian cultures have traditional sensibilities. And traditional folks, pretty much, they, they operate according to this. What's the most important thing in the world? Not you as an individual. It's the family. The family and the tribe is what's most important. And if we're going to have a big and strong and powerful tribe, we need kitties. We need kids. <laughs> we can't be a family with like, you know, a mom and dad and like one kid. <laughs> because who's going who's gonna to run the farm? There's no social security. They're your social security. <laughs> who's going to go fight the wars? We need, we need eight kids. <laughs> and so we need a woman who's going to pop out eight kids. <laughs> That's what we need. 
it, it almost gets kind of comical about this. Um, there are cultures that literally look at a woman and if her face is like, you know, she's like, eh, it's mediocre, great hips. <laughs> great hips, Ooh, we want her. I'm not kidding. I'm not making. I have a friend from many, many years ago. She's uh, she comes from Swedish ancestry, and um, she's actually real, she's actually fairly pretty. And but she says, "Oh yeah, I got the truck hips. I was just made to pop out kids." <laughs> she said that straight out loud. Well, she was like 20. I was 21. She said that. I mean, I, I couldn't believe she said that. <laughs> I I, <laughs> I burst out laughing, and I, was, I think I was eating something. And I almost choked on it. Okay, uh, and um, but. But the traditional cultures, what they do is this thing, the family, and there's a duty to your family you owe. You owe. They let you know. You owe mom and dad. <laughs> you owe grandparents. You owe everybody else. So, hey, hey, young lady, if you don't become a mom, guess what? You're just not worth much. Hey, what's wrong with you, guy? How can you be hitting 30 years old and not married? By now, we should have three kids already. <laughs> And it comes out in strange ways. It's not always this crass, but this is why grandparents, you know, they, they want to know <laughs> how many grandkids are there going to be. Why? Because you owe the collective. You owe the family. It's a duty toward the family. And if you wonder, you wonder why people who come from traditional backgrounds, this, the, the anxiety. But actually, traditional societies tend to, they're actually very realistic about this in general. Um, they get much more realistic with us because they know that having children and having the family is so important, they're not going to leave it to chance like dating. Are you kidding? <laughs> they're not going to have dating. That's why there's something called arranged marriages. Like, we're not going to let you pick your wife. You're dumb. <laughs> it's like, are you kidding? We're going to pick a good one for you. So that, that's why it makes sense in traditional societies to do this. You know, and of course, they're all adapting nowadays, too, because, you know, you grow up in India or China or, or wherever, and, and then, of course, there's all these Hollywood movies or Bollywood movies or Hong Kong movies or, or Korean dramas. Oh, Korean dramas, they're the worst. <laughs> okay? And, and it's, just, it's just, it's absolutely saturated with this romanticism, so there's no way. So, you're, you know, you, you, you could be Chinese, and your daughter watched a bunch of Korean dramas and was like, I'm going to marry that guy <laughs> on that Korean drama. And he's hot. I'm going to marry a guy just like him. No, no, you're going to marry, you know, you're going to marry that guy. You know, he's the, he's the son of my best friend. It's like, no, he, he's ugly. I don't, he looks nothing like that hottie in the Korean drama. And so they're going to have some raging fight. <laughs> and so they realize, okay, we're going to have to kind of, you know, that, that's the power of romance. The power of romance coming out of the West, but the longing is not a Western longing, is it? It's a human longing. So, but because of this, I, 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 it's, it's, it's interesting. I think the old way, the traditional way, we feel that it's oppressive, and, and it, honestly, it is. <laughs> you know, if you love this person and you long for this person, do you notice that a lot of these Asian dramas, that's sort of the main drama. I love and long for this person, but I owe my family. And then there, there's the tragedy, and here's my life. I don't end up with the person I really, really love. I end up with this other good person who loves me, <laughs> but not with that hot, fiery romance that's inside of me. So in so many Asian dramas, like you can't end up with your soulmate. You can only just end up with a good husband. <laughs> that's kind of the brokenness of it. 
but it works. And 10 or 20 years later, you realize better than having a hot romance is actually having a really good wife. <laughs> better than the most beautiful, hot, sexy wife is the really good, faithful wife. Actually, it really is. Now, of course, when you're 22 years old, nobody ever wants to hear that. When you're 14 or 22 or even 32, you do not want to hear that. That just sounds really, really terrible. It's like, you know why? Because it's like this little dream, and it's like, you know, but someone's popping it. Mom and dad is like pops these. They're terrible mom and dads, right? They, they do these things, right? But actually, they're wise. And their system of the way they do it, there's a lot of, um, there's actually... I know it, sounds, it feels really mean, but they're actually trying to set you up to not be lonely. You're single, but they're trying to protect you from a dark lonely when you're 40, 50, 60. Hmm. But, but it hurts. And it can be quite oppressive. Why? And it really can be oppressive. Of course, you know, there's, there's the most terrible parents who just like, they think they own you. <laughs> Because that's what a lot of traditional cultures do. You don't know yourself. You're not your special person. You're a special individual. What are you talking about? <laughs> you just belong to me. And you have to do the life that I expect you to do because I know more than you. And then you can do that to your kids. <laughs> and so it's just one generation just crushing the individuality. And every individual has been made special and unique by God for himself. That is what's actually happening. So here you go. This is it. The traditional folks got one piece of wisdom, and the modern romance has another piece of wisdom, and neither is going to work. If the romance is the most important thing, or if the family is the most important thing. You know what you're just saying? We worship family. It's an idolatry. Duty, duty, duty. It's not salvation by grace through a redemptive work by God. It's a salvation by duty. <laughs> And duty will squash you, always. If you only have duty, it will squash you. It can help you, because duty is a good thing, but it's not the best and ultimate thing. And, but the modern way is like, let's just go on our own. We're going to get, like, everything is like, it's, it's, oh, I'm going to get everything from me. And probably break your family. And you break yourself, probably. And somebody else. Falling in love, this thing, it's, it's dangerous. It is dangerous. And um, uh, anyway, that's the first one. And especially for, I just want to say this, the, a lot of Asian singles, we're the worst. A lot of people, if you are an immigrant and you come out of a traditional culture and then you come into the, the radically individualistic, me-centered Western culture, what you're going to do is you're going to, you're being given the, the, the duty family idolatry. <laughs> and then you're going to get the romance God. The me, me, me God. And both of them will squash you and destroy you. We're the worst. That's not kind of terrible to hear. I'm sorry. <laughs> but it's okay. You know, we'll be joined by the Africans who come to America. <laughs> and the South Americans who come to They all, all, go, all go to the same problem. Second-generation immigrants. Um, so, but I want to get back to this. It's okay. Just admit it. And then it's okay to take some steps. I, I, let me say a little something, and we're going to say a little bit more about this next week. Next week, 
I'm going to give you some wisdom on actually how to approach finding your spouse. Ah, that's crazy. Can you, Pastor, can I actually give you some dating tips? Yes. <laughs> um, but the first thing I just want to say is it's okay. Admit it. And it's okay to say, I need help. Turn to people around you. Say, can you help me? That's good. It's really good. <laughs> Single and lonely is part one. Part two, alone and lonely. I want to... Um, I want to read you a portion out of a wonderful book. So um, the, the, the person who has really, really taught me the most about marriage um, is, is, is a famous pastor in New York City named Timothy Keller. The reason why I like to turn to him is because he has thought about the idolatry of the traditional culture and the idolatry of the so-called free culture. So if the traditional culture's idolatry is duty... The idolatry, the, the idolatry, the God, the false God that will crush us in our culture is, it's freedom, independence, and personal fulfillment. And of course, that's the way we're going to do marriage. If the traditional culture is going to do uh, marriage through duty and family, they ring everything, that's their top thing. Then if the top thing for us is personal fulfillment in me, then we're going to run everything through that too. It's a big problem. But you know where it's leading to? So he has this term. <laughs> he has this term. So I want to, I'm going to just read this out. Older views of marriage are considered to be traditional and oppressive, while the newer view of the me marriage is so, seems so liberating. But this is ironic. It is the newer view that has led to a steep decline in marriage and to an oppressive sense of hopelessness with regard to it. And so when Tim Keller looks at a culture, he looks at single people particularly, but not even just single people, but married people and people, why their marriages are failing. But let's just talk about single people. He looks at single people and he sees a dual problem. One is they want marriage so badly, <laughs> then they become afraid of it. And then, because it's so big, <laughs> Why? Because this other person, this so-called soulmate, and he has a name for it. He calls it apocalyptic romance. <laughs> it's not just romance. It's apocalyptic romance. <laughs> it's like the ultimate romance. That's what apocalypse means. It's like the final showdown, the thing that's going to solve everything. It's either going to solve everything or it's going to destroy everything because that's what an apocalypse is. An apocalypse is like a final sh showdown. And either everything will be healed or everything will be destroyed. And so the the, 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 the stakes are so super high, what? Either, oh, the dream of like, oh, I'm going to meet this person, and it just, ah, it'll, be, it'll just be everything. Everything, this person's going to be everything to me. <laughs> or, I'll be nothing. Or maybe this person will destroy me. Isn't that happening? I meet singles who chase, 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 chase romance, and then when it falls apart, they don't just hurt, they get suicidal. They go into clinical depression. I met people who have gone through two or three of these. So this is, this is what I'm saying, this romance is dangerous. After the third boyfriend, she becomes hopeless. This is what Keller's talking about. But there's, there's other reasons, there's other things too. So he cites a guy named John Tierney. And apparently John Tierney wrote this article called Picky, Picky, Picky. 
And here's what he noticed. After scanning the extraordinarily unrealistic personal ads where the kind of partners that are wanted don't actually exist, because the kind of person we want is this. I'm me. I'm good. I just want someone who's really well put together, really good looking, really smart, re really independent, and not needy. And then we're just going to just add, and they're not going to um, make any demands on me. <laughs> and we'll just be together, and it'll all just be perfect. But are you kidding? Who's like that? I'm like, well, nobody. <laughs> If there is somebody like that, we hope that there's some kind of like super duper one in a billion fit for you. It's actually, let's just say, okay, you know what, let me, let me, let me, let me just, I don't want to be too mean about this, but, but I'm going to be mean, okay? <laughs> let's just say you find the one in a 10 million person that, is, that feels that way to you. Just wait. Just wait. Six months later, a year later, they won't be, they won't feel like that to you. <laughs> That's just the way it is. Okay? At the, the beginning, when you feel that way, it's a, it's a drug. It's called being in love. It's literally a drug. It's literally a drug. There are certain chemicals that are rolling around inside your brain, and it's actually making you stupid. Because <laughs> it's, like, it's like high. Oh. That thing was like, is there, it's like to help you to like fall in love with this person to produce babies, okay? <laughs> but it's not there to tell you the truth about the ultimate thing in life. John Tierney goes on to say, he's, he's decided that young adults are increasingly afflicted with what he calls the flaomatic. <laughs> That's what he calls his name. There's this, they have this thing inside their brain called the flaomatic, today's singles. It's an inner voice, a little worrying device inside the brain that instantly spots a fatal flaw in a potential mate. What is the purpose of the flaw-o-matic? One possibility considers is that it is something developed by people to determine to get more than they deserve. We're all shoppers. We're like, I, I'm not, I don't know about you, but like I go, you know, I, I, I will go, I know how much money I have, and then I'm going to go buy something, and then I know I'm going to get a good deal. I'm, then I'm, going to, I'm not going to get it for the price you get it for. I'm going to get it for better. <laughs> we do the same thing in the marriage market. And then they're also to reject anyone remotely like themselves. Tyranny concludes that more often than not, this is a device that gives us an excuse to stay alone. Didn't I say this is alone and lonely? It's an excuse to stay alone and therefore safe. Here we go. Because I told you, falling in love is dangerous. The stakes are apocalyptic. <laughs> and, but if you don't actually try to work it out with this person, the person can stay a pristine statue. Isn't that what we do when you, you know, you're, like, you're 12 years old and you fall in love with that, that girl across the room? And as long as you don't ask her out, you can have the hope that she will actually still say yes. So then you sit around daydreaming about you living in that little world. You're not living in the real world. You live, I want to ask her out, and I want to do this thing. I'll give her flowers, and she's going to love it. She's going to just think, you're the best, Susan. You're just the, OK, OK, I mean, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm very familiar with this, you know, this daydream, OK? And as long as, as long as you don't ask her out, <laughs> 
this daydream still stays alive. But if you ask her out, the dream just goes kapoom. She like a real person actually shows up and she just she just looks at you like, like yeah right, you have a real chance, <laughs> okay. And a lot of people would rather live in this world, alone and lonely. Um, it's an idolatry. I can stay free and not have to change. But if you really, really want someone to come into your life, you have to change. You can't stay safe. This isn't safe. <laughs> Even after you get married, marriage is intended to bind you together, as the Bible says, hold fast to one another permanently. It's like a glue. There, it's as safe as it can get. And it still doesn't feel that safe. <laughs> I know, I've been married a long time, right? <laughs> and so, um, but that's safe. It's as safe as it gets. It's as safe as it gets when you become that close to somebody, that deeply intimate. And you're going to say, it's what it says. How did it say it in Genesis chapter 2.25? And they were naked and not ashamed. You're going to strip off everything and allow yourself to be utterly soul naked before this one person that you most badly want to say, oh, Susan, you're so, ooh, everything to me. What's that? The heck? How do I end up with you? Oh. It's so deeply fearful. But in marriage, she'll go, oh, how do I end up with you? But you know what? I'll stay. Because she's going, I hope you don't think that about me. Hmm. Let me give you a few examples, and then we'll move on to the final portion of my message. Um, these are some of the kinds of ways that people do alone, but lonely. They're a little different. So you can see there's a lot of variations, but the same deep fundamental problem. We turned an idolatry, and the idolatry, see, if you bow down to a false god, the false god will kill you. That's what false gods do. The false gods are from the devil. <laughs> the devil likes to kill. The devil likes death. Here's some versions of death that I see. Um, there are painfully single people who are painfully single, but they're too afraid to get married, and deep down they feel more and more low and hopeless, and then they just stop seeking. A lot of them just won't admit they're like this. There's a lot of them. There's a lot of single people I meet. They won't admit it because I'm, I'm, I have to be put together. I'm, I'm a strong person, and if you're strong, then you're strong. Then you have to act like you're strong and put on the strong face, which is a total fake face. It's just a pathway to death. Hmm. How about th those who use others emotionally through serial romance, but they lack commitment? It's like the, the guy who always has a girlfriend, 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 but never a wife. Sometimes girls are doing this too. It's, it's interesting. More and more women are doing this. Usually women want something more. Men can be just more shallow because men are well shallow. <laughs> At least when it comes to relationships in generally. Right? At least when it comes to relationships, just on the whole, men <laughs> are lower on the curve of relational depth. Right? But it's really a fear of commitment. And it's not seeking another person, it's just really seeking yourself. So, so you're using the other person emotionally. 
And so it's like romance, you're using the other person emotionally. And of course, we know there's another version, those who use other people sexually. And now in our society, when everybody thinks, oh, romance is everything, well, sex has to be part of it too. So the best movies are not just like girl uses guy or guy uses girl sexually, but of course, romantically and sexually. A lot of today's romance movies are just this. I'll use you emotionally, and then we'll use you sexually. But this is a pathway of death. There are a lot of people that are angry today that Christians say, you can't have sex or you shouldn't have sex. It's God's law. It's God's wisdom, though. He made us so that you would give yourself to one person who would deeply love you when you're naked and not ashamed. Okay? That's physically naked, emotionally naked, soul naked. There's only one place for that marriage. We say this to our neighbors, and they hate it because, and they're angry at us. Why? Because they're so fixated in their idolatry. They want to believe a lie more than the truth that we offer them. And they go, you're just jerks. And now, admittedly, some Christians are jerks. But actually, when we share this with our neighbors, we're trying to bless them. We're trying to warn them. And they won't listen when we tell them, so now we just have to show them. That's what I think. So if you're a Christian, please seek a good marriage and please seek a true and free way to be single. You need to learn how to be single and not alone and lonely in Christ. Be a beautiful thing, a blessing to your neighbors and your friends who are in this place, in this terrible place. They don't know it, but they're going to death. Um, all right, how about another one? Those who profess deep, powerful, romantic aspirations, but actually they do it to avoid real marriage. <laughs> All the people they seek, they don't ever want to change for. This is sort of like a more intense version of the people who use other people emotionally. It's just like a much more intense, intense version. How about another one? Those who live together but won't be committed to marriage. There are shocking statistics in this book. It's by this book it's called The Meaning of Marriage by Timothy Keller. There are shocking statistics in this book. More and more young single people today, they think, I mean, because they don't actually have uh, the wisdom to know if this person could be a good spouse for them, so they go, let's try it. But I don't actually want to be committed. He says, I won't commit you. So they think we're going to go, we'll have some dates, then we'll become boyfriend and girlfriend, and then we'll live together, and then the ultimate thing is marriage. That's apocalyptic romance marriage. It's not working. Actually, if you live together before you get married, the, the, the statistics are actually really bad. <laughs> the chances that you will get divorced are extremely high. They're higher than 50%. They're really bad odds. And yet, higher than 50%, apparently, in certain places, are now living together. It breaks my heart. Um, One last thing, uh, one last, and, and, I hope, and I want to be really sensitive about this one. There are those who say they are fine with being single and they've stopped trying to date. I'm fine with it. So they're not even trying to date anymore. They're not even trying to find a spouse. And, but they're deep down pretty insecure and it hurts. So then they just go look for some other comfort. And so I mean, you know, the example today would be like the cat lady. <laughs> You know, you got the friend who loves her cat, 
and I know, I know we have this derogatory term, crazy cat lady. There's a, there's a sister in our, in, in our church who wrote this beautiful testimony about how she struggled with her singleness until you know, she, she, she met her husband. And she, she gave this testimony you know, last year. Um, and she said, I, I'm, going, I'm going to become the crazy cat lady. That's what she said. <laughs> right? And um, by the way, guys, uh, there's a guy version, absolutely. It's the dog dude. <laughs> It's the dog dude. We, we just don't call him the crazy cat. There's the dog dude. And some of them have the two dogs. They got two dogs. The dog dude. I, I'm not saying if you have a dog, we're all, don't walk out of this church and just, just, oh, she has a cat. I now know why. Ha! Stop it, please. I actually want to say this. Um, I actually think that it's wonderfully merciful of God to give us dogs and cats. Lewis, C.S. Lewis, uh, one of my spiritual mentors, even though I never met the guy. <laughs> he's a dead spiritual mentor that I met through his writing, okay? He's, the guy just speaks to me, speaks to me, okay? Um, but um, he says, if you love anything, it's better than loving nothing. Even a cat or a dog. And they, they are a comfort, but it's not enough. So at least I think they're better off than the other categories that I just gave you. But um, I want to say to people, if you're in that category today, I'm not talking just dogs. Some other people, they do it other, I mean, whatever other ways. You're in this single and insecure, and you've given up hope. It's not hopeless. There's still life for you. husband for you if you want one. It's possible. Or there's another pathway. Maybe you can choose this third, and here's my last portion, Single but not lonely. Oh, single but not alone. Um, this is the way Paul puts it. <laughs> uh, if you, whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, you don't have a need. May, that, you know, that doesn't mean you don't feel it. That doesn't mean every now and then you don't, oh gosh, I wish I had somebody. But, there's a difference between you feel it and have a need. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, I was, um, I remember, st- I, I learned these passages when I was in college. So I knew that there was a special gift for some people that they didn't have to be married. Um, when I was 23 years old, I was in graduate school. I loved what I was studying. I was studying all the time. And I had books that weren't even assigned. In fact, I wasn't even reading the books assigned by my professors. I had stacks and stacks of books. I was reading this chapter out of this book. And, and, there was, and I came back into my room one night at 2 AM, and I said, if I'm still doing this when I'm 40, this is not going to work. <laughs> this is not going to work. I'm not going to make it. And that night, for the first time in my life, I actually prayed for a wife. Now I'm like, oh, I really, 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 like tomorrow, Jesus. <laughs> it wasn't like that. I was just like, Lord, you know, I don't got this gift. <laughs> but I don't think it's necessarily like a, you got it or you don't got it. I think you can have it for a certain period of your life. And I think all people who are single, maybe you will be married in three years or five years or ten years. I think you can seek this gift. It's a gift by grace. Last week I told you that um, there's a male and there's a female. There's a man and then there's the woman. And 
God, you know why he made us this way? Because all human beings, we are, we are intended, God intended that we would know that apart from the completion of a deep relationship, a deep oneness with somebody else, you cannot be complete. Now let me tell you something that's really, that, that maybe, do you know that God is not complete without relationship? Christianity is the only one that teaches this. Not Jews, not Muslims. Muslims say there's one God, and he's completely like autonomous and powerful. And we all want to be like that. But Christianity says there's one God, but there's three persons. Absolutely in love relationship. Perfect unity with one another. I know this might sound a little strange, but I think the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are naked but not ashamed from all eternity. Genesis chapter 2.25, naked but not ashamed. Do you know what that is? That's to say, um, you could be single. You're a person, you're a single person. But you're not very alone. And there was Adam. And so because it is not good that Adam is alone, God gave him someone fit for him. But I want you to know that even in a good marriage, and I have a good marriage. I have, I have almost broken my marriage. So I've kind of been on both ends of it. I've had a bad marriage, which was mostly my fault. <laughs> and I have a good marriage, which is mostly to the credit of Jesus. Jesus gets the maximum credit, and then the next most important credit goes to my wife. And then, like, it's probably not really due to me, okay? So, <laughs> all right. Um, it's not really, well, I'm, I'm not saying that. In all honesty, I'm not, say, I'm not saying that because, like, it's false modesty. I really think that's true. Like, I think that's objectively true. Mm -hmm. But even in a really good marriage, we were not meant for just somebody else. Adam was not meant ultimately for an other. So we were made male and female that somebody special and other and mysteriously different, same but different, like us but opposite us, would come and meet us. The other special other. And so every marriage is actually a drama of these two people that really are different. But what if, you, but actually, do you know that you can be single and you can be fine? You know why? Because the greatest marriage there ever was was that there was another Adam. And he knew I will not be finished or complete until I go get my bride. And the other Adam was named Jesus. Last week I said to you, God came to be our helper. In this way, kind of everybody is male, and then God came to be the ultimate helper woman to us, in a sense. Isn't that a strange way of putting it? I'm going to say it to you this way. All human beings are female, in a sense, to God. Because we need the one who is the bridegroom. Male and female is actually a picture of the other greater two that are different but coming into unity. And that's when the one who is the bridegroom came and united himself to the bride. And that's the church. The church is filled with males and females 
but we're all brides. Guys, we're brides. <laughs> that's a weird way. I know, that's a really weird. Don't, don't get too weirded out by that analogy, okay? And Jesus comes to fill us. We wait for him, long for him. And you could be single. And if he completes you, you know you're never alone. And deep down, you're not lonely. And so whether you're single for five years or 50, then you could be like Paul. Then you could say like Paul, I could be free. I don't go to other people filled with insecurity or like constant daydreaming. You could just love your dog. <laughs> you know, your dog doesn't fill your wound. You pour out. An outpouring of yourself, which is always full of love and wonder, is going toward other people. And now you're in the kingdom. <laughs> now you're in the kingdom. Let's pray. Jesus, when we don't have you, I guess we have to make someone else you. <laughs> the guys are trying to make someone else this ultimate person through a apocalyptic romance. We're saying, if only she would complete me, but she can't. And then we break our girlfriends and our wives when we do mating and singleness and we break our men when our sisters, our neighbors say, he has to be everything for me. But that there is only you, Jesus. Only you are the deepest treasure. Only you can we absolutely be naked and not ashamed because you cover our shame. You bandage up our wounds. You clothe us with your love and your righteousness and your acceptance. And only when we can be this way can then can we have truly joyful and healthy, beautiful singleness and marriage. And we pray that you would give us this. We ask for this. We need this. So that our culture, deeply dying and broken, can became, become more and more whole and our children and our families and our society can be blessed by your blessedness, by your shalom. Give us this through Christ our Savior, the ultimate bridegroom, the only one that could fully complete and make us whole. In his name we pray. Amen. Let's respond to the Lord now. Give me your offering, but as you offer, give me your wounds. Give him your loneliness. He'll give you himself.